expand your mind and enrich your world. It's time for another outstanding podcast from ICRT. This is Taiwan Talk. This is Taiwan Talk on ICRT. With last week's closing of Tainan Military Prison and the transfer of all inmates to civilian facilities, Taiwan has virtually ended its military court system. The reform was prompted by public outcry last July following the death of Army Corporal Hong Chung Chiu, who died after being punished for misconduct. The corporal's death sparked massive protests and allegations of abuse of power in the military chain of command. The legislative reforms that followed now place all military servicemen in Taiwan under the authority of the civilian justice system during peacetime. Director of the Taiwan section of Amnesty International, Bo Tedderds, was nice enough to sit down with me at the group's offices in Taipei to talk about the historic prison closure and what issues still remain in Taiwan's human rights practices. Uh, Bo Tedderds, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you, Keith. I'm glad to be here. First, could you explain a little bit about what is being dismantled and uh, how new cases will be handled? Well, first of all, I should say that it's it's not just the prisons, but you mentioned the whole judicial system. There was a parallel system of courts and prosecutors and criminal detention centers as well as prisons. So if you were a, a suspect in the military, you got arrested by the military police, you went to the military detention center, you were indicted by the military prosecutor. Your case was heard by a military judge. If you appealed it to a higher military court, and then after you were sentenced, you were put in a military prison. There's a total system. All of these institutions, well, not the military police, but all the other these other institutions are now disbanded. The personnel have been transferred to other positions, and even the facilities are being recycled for other uses. And we think this is a positive step because the 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 fact is that the military court system in Taiwan has notably failed to deliver effective justice. And even though we still have concerns and issues with the civilian system, it should be a substantial improvement over the military system. In particular, they won't have the problem which has plagued the military system of deference to higher rank. You know, if a top commander wishes to see somebody indicted, they probably got indicted under the old system. And now the civilian prosecutors won't have that sense of obligation or whatever deference to some commander you know the, they could just make their own decision more independently so amnesty international has also said that there are potential issues in the implementation of these reforms and i want to get to that in a second but first i'm hoping that you can explain why in your view this is a historic step for taiwan since the ending of martial law yes this reform can actually be thought of as the final end of martial law the last vestiges of the martial law apparatus, because in, in the martial law period, the uh, the military courts uh, were the main instrument of uh, political repression and repression against dissident voices in Taiwan. Most of the prisoners of conscience that Amnesty worked on, that people were concerned about in uh, in the martial law period, had been tried and sentenced by military uh, military courts. And these weren't just uh, these weren't just service people that were right, being... Right, exactly. They were, they were usually not. I mean, they were, they, and the, the definition of martial law is that the court-martial system would have jurisdiction over non-soldiers, over civilians. So that was the case in Taiwan. They had widespread jurisdiction. And at the end of the end of martial law technically means the end of that jurisdiction. It didn't mean that all the human rights problems in Taiwan were solved, but it meant that this particular type of problem was solved. But those courts were still there. The people who, who committed those abuses were still in office. Um, and they had, and they continued to have jurisdiction over servicemen, and there are a lot of servicemen in Taiwan. So uh, 
they can there continue to be abuses after that period within the military uh, because of this unreformed system. So now the actual court martial per se does not exist in Taiwan in times of peace. So that's that's there is no more martial law even within the military. And and that's a remarkable step not just for Taiwan but it would be a remarkable step for any nation to take. Is that right? I think so. I think there are very few countries that have taken this kind of step uh, of abolishing the military justice, especially when they had a system in place. Very few countries would abolish it. And so I think in this case, we hope that if if Taiwan can uh, implement this properly and it is, you know, in, in hindsight is seen to be a successful reform, that it may encourage other countries to take this kind of step as well. What are some of the barriers to implementation? Does uh, Amnesty see? Uh, are we on the path to uh, prevent the kind of abuses that we saw last July in terms of uh, lack of accountability and abuses in the chain of command? Two areas that were that we mentioned in our statement about the about the implementation. One is that the the, the civilian agencies, the prosecutors and the courts, uh, need to make sure they have adequate uh, training and understanding of military laws and resources to carry out investigations. And actually, we think probably this is okay, but we just wanted to put that there to make sure that it's, that it's done. And the second one, which is a little bit, we're a little bit more concerned about, is whether the military will be proactively cooperating with the new system. If they are obstructing investigations or causing other kinds of trouble, then it could be it might become difficult for the prosecutors and the courts to handle the cases properly. Uh, and in fact, we already saw a little bit of that in the Hong case, which is the case against the officers who uh, are accused of abusing uh, Corporal Hong. Uh, is underway in the Taoyuan court. And there's been some problems with the transferring of the evidence files from the military prosecutors to the court. Um, and it's that kind of thing that we're worried about in the future, if they're concealing evidence or obstructing investigations in some way. We would hope that the military would be more forthcoming to, to recognize that this is a positive step for the rights of soldiers, in fact. And they should be open to this, more open to this, and uh, hopefully they cooperate smoothly with c- civilian law enforcement. Now, as you say, the military court system in Taiwan does have a very long history, and I, I wanted to take this as an opportunity to reflect a little bit on the role that Amnesty International and other human rights organizations in Taiwan played while that court system was still very much in power. So can you talk a little bit about uh, the sorts of issues that arose in Taiwan before the end of martial law and and how organizations like Amnesty International address those issues? Yes, in the martial law area, as I touched on a bit earlier, the um, there were widespread violations of human rights, and in many cases involving the, the court-martial system. So I would say there's two problems. One is that people were being prosecuted for things which shouldn't have been crimes in the first place, for freedom of speech issues, for having a different political stance from the ruling party. And second, they were getting unfair trials as well. They were, they, a lot of the trials were very quick, kind of railroading people through. Uh, Amnesty sent on several occasions observe, people to observe the trials uh, here, and we tried to collect information on the way the trials were happening, frequently criticizing these things. But the main focus was on trying to free these people who shouldn't have been imprisoned in the first place, so we prisoners of conscience in Taiwan. Uh, and we spent a lot of time working on that um, from overseas. We couldn't we couldn't openly operate in Taiwan in those days, but we had uh, our network overseas of members and our, uh, our offices and our researchers in other countries 
collecting the data and information about Taiwan and issuing public appeals, writing letters to the government and trying to call for these reforms. But the real reforms came finally when the Taiwanese civil society itself became more active, uh, especially in the 80s. The, the social movements became very active, labor movements, women's movements, environmental movements, and so forth. And they started really pushing for a more open society and pushing uh, back against the authoritarian regime. And finally, then we had the lifting of martial law. And then after that, a whole series of reforms, kind of a really extended process in Taiwan, quite different than in, say, in Eastern Europe, when the wall fell and everything changed overnight. In Taiwan, it was more they lifted martial law one year, then they lifted the restriction on newspapers, and then they, later they lifted freedom of speech, and later they reformed the Constitution. Just sort of, it was more like piece-by-piece piece set of reforms, which some people would say is still ongoing, even though major progress has been made. There are still areas that haven't been reformed properly. So those are the things, the current issues that we work on now. Well, let's uh, let's talk about that process just for a second, because obviously Taiwan has made a lot of progress. In 2013, Freedom House, uh, an organization that rates countries around the world on their human rights practices, uh, rated Taiwan as a free country, essentially saying that Taiwan has a relatively good uh, track record on human rights at this time. Uh, so you already touched on this a little bit, but how has... Taiwan achieved that process in the two and a half decades since the end of martial law? Well, it's really been a collective effort of, uh, of so many Taiwanese people from some of the political side, you know, people who are members of parliament or uh, from some of the political parties, but especially from the social movements, which then became the civil society that we have now in Taiwan. People have been using their new freedoms to speak out for their own rights, but also for the rights of others. And that's been the main sort of driving driving impetus behind all these reforms over the years. And as you say, a lot of progress has been made. But now we think, you know, we shouldn't uh, continue to say, well, it, so we're so much better than in the past, you know, or that we're so much better than North Korea, so therefore we should just be happy. Because I think at Taiwan, at this you know, is a relatively wealthy society. We should be comparing ourselves to, you know, to to Europe or North America, and these kind of more advanced countries and human rights standards. So, so in that case, we in in that point of view, we still have quite a bit of work to do. What were institutional reformers and and democratic uh, activists up against when they were first transitioning out of the martial law period? Mm-hmm. Uh, when Taiwan you know emerged from martial law, so much of the uh, cultural infrastructure in a way, meant psychological infrastructure had to be built from scratch. You know, what are human rights? What are my rights? What is my role as a citizen? The society was very tightly controlled in the authoritarian period. And people had to build mentalities and ways of, of operating from scratch. And in many uh, institutional settings, it just can't be done overnight. It takes a long time. And, and a prime example is the judicial system, either civilian or military. It takes ages to reform the traditional practices of courts and these, and these institutions. Just So the personnel is still in place. Sometimes you have to wait for them to retire. Sometimes they can't be fired or reshuffled. Sometimes you can change a law and that will help. But sometimes it's more of a practice or an implementation issue, and it takes longer. It takes a it takes a institutional cultural change, and that's one of the reasons that this has been a really long transition. Yes, that's one of the things that has been quite drawn out uh, in, in Taiwan over the time. Um, in general, we think the direction is is positive, but uh, it's taking. We would like it to move along a little faster. Yeah. 
So what are some of the advances that Amnesty International would still like to see? What are some of the issues that uh, your organization and other NGOs are working on right now? Uh, Amnesty is one of the founders of a uh, coalition of NGOs that is working to really try to bring Taiwan up to the level of international standards in the what we call the core United Nations human rights instruments. There's a, a set of treaties, of UN treaties, which are internationally considered the, the core standards for human rights. And Taiwan has uh, now ratified four of them, but there are still several more to go. And we've been working to see that the ones that have already been ratified are implemented properly. And in many cases, we found there are gaps where people thought that particular right was more or less okay in Taiwan. But when you dig a little bit deeper, you find that there are issues. So we found quite a few gaps. And uh, right now we are working to try to fill those gaps with a series of institutional reforms across the spectrum in Taiwan. One of those treaties that you're, you're lobbying for uh, Taiwan to sign is the United Nations Convention Against Torture. Yep. What, what, are, what are some of the issues still ongoing in Taiwan that that convention would cover? Right. So one of the things uh, that Amnesty is focusing on in the next stage in Taiwan is to ratify the Convention Against Torture and other cruel, inhuman, or degrading treatment. One of the reasons we think this is a very important thing to do is because, uh, first of all, the Hong case shows that torture still exists in Taiwan. It's not a thing of the past. It's not a hypothetical issue. It's still happening. Second, uh, the Hong case also points out that torture can occur in a variety of contexts. Not only by you get caught or get beat up by the police officer or something like this, but it can happen. It happens to soldiers in the military. It can happen to people in mental institutions. It can happen to immigrants in detention centers, and each of these different institutions has different standards. I won't say that they are. None of them are trying to do anything about it, but they all have different standards and they have different ways of going about it. And we can see that there are lots of gaps. So we think that the ratification of the torture would force all agencies of the government up to one high standard. And in addition, it would, it would enable a kind of international scrutiny, which is what we tried to do with, with the previous covenants that were already ratified. So we think we can get some international scrutiny on that, and we think we can help a lot of people avoid torture or inhuman treatment by ratifying the, the convention. Anything else that you'd like to say about Amnesty International's work in Taiwan and uh, issues that you guys are following currently? Well, one thing I would like to say is that actually a lot of what we do on a day-to-day -day basis is to try to encourage Taiwanese people to pay more attention to human rights globally. We think uh, a lot of Taiwanese people would like to be global citizens or think of themselves as global citizens. In that case, you should care about global issues. So we actually work in partnership with local NGOs on the local issues. But we also what we, what we like to do is let people join a global community of human rights activists and we think that will help them to uh, not only broaden their horizons about human rights, but uh, in fact to uh, deepen understanding of human rights and, uh, and their commitment to human rights values, and then which will help them as citizens locally um, as well. So we try to uh, combine the two, I mean, interest in the local issue with the interest in the global issues. So that's, that's, that's what we're working on these days. We've been speaking to the director of the Taiwan section of Amnesty International. Bo Tedderts, thanks so much for speaking with us. Thank you, Keith. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. For our listeners on iTunes, please think about taking a moment to rate and review this podcast. It lets us know what you're thinking so we can bring you the kinds of topics you want to hear, and it helps other people discover the show. For Taiwan Talk, I'm Keith Menconi.